Well, good morning. This is the year of glory and of God. Um, and today I want to talk a little bit about that and, and the Lord's presence. So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. That's where we're going to start our, our sermon. We also have it up there, I'm sure, at some point in time. But, but before we get into it, um, I, I'm reminded of this week, this past week, the, it was time for our maintenance, for our air conditioning. So I call the people and they send somebody over. Um, you know, they give you a window. The guy's going to show up between, you know, 2023 and 2024, and he showed up. And he, you know, I, I'm normally chatty with these guys. I want to engage them. I want to make sure that, that they have everything they need and everything's going well. Um, but I'm, I'm also working, so I, I tend to put my laptop on the table, work while he's doing his thing. And this guy was a, just a chatty Kathy. He was just talking and talking. And he was talking to the point where he would do something with, with the air conditioning unit, which is in the hallway. And then he would stop what he was doing and turn to me, and he would just start talking. And I'm thinking, don't you have a job to do? You know, maybe, maybe do it while you're talking. That's okay, but do the work, and, and we can talk. But he, he was asking me all sorts of things. He was talking to me about... Um, my job. He was talking to me about my house. He was telling me, are you guys looking to move? What are you going to do? Where are you going to live? Uh, are you, why don't you instead build on this house and you get more money? And all this just constant just chatter about my life. And again, I, I want to be engaging. I want to be nice. But at, at the same time, it's a lot of personal. I was expecting him to ask me how much I made, but he didn't. But he was, it was we were just talking. Um, and at some point it came to in the conversation, he asked me about my education. And, and I said, I went to St. Mark's School of Texas. And, and he said, oh, wow. And obviously, he had heard of it. Um, and he said, I'm thinking about you know, applying for my son to go to that school. And he said, was it worth it? And I said, you know, it was. I'd, I'd learned a lot at that school. Uh, I had a great education. And, and he said, um, and networking. And I said, yeah, sure. I, there's, there's probably a good network of friends that I have that went to the school, and he said, tell me about them. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, dude. But I told him. I said, you know, I, I have a friend who is a lawyer, and I have a friend who does this. I have a friend who works at, at Sleep Experts. He's a, a salesman for uh, mattresses. And, and I said, so if we ever need a mattress, which we don't, I would go to him. And, you know, it's that kind of thing. And so we, we talked about it, and, you know, eventually he left. And, and as I started thinking about it, I thought, um, do I really have a great St. Mark's network that I rely on? And, and the answer really is no. I, I know these guys. I know what they do. But it's not like I can call that particular lawyer and say, hey, I need you know, legal help. And he's just going to drop everything and, and come run and help me. We're not that close friends. I'm, I'm sure I can get a discount from the mattress guy. But you know, I, we don't talk all that much. And the, I'm sure he would give me a 5% discount if I really, really pushed him to, but that's about it, right? It's still going to be thousands of dollars if we need a mattress. So I, I thought about the, what we were talking about, and I thought, no, it really wasn't networking that, that I got from St. Mark's. And, and if I'm being honest, I can probably get just as good as, of an education at other places um, than St. Mark's. But, but what I felt after that conversation, I really did get out of St. Mark's. And, and not to say that the education was shabby. It was top-notch. 
But what I felt what I really got out of it was presence. That environment pushed me to be a better learner than I think any other environment. So much so that when I did go to college, I found college to be simplistic. I found it easy. Um, obviously, the, the subject matter was something I had to learn, but I feel like St. Mark's prepared me for the environment of learning. And because of that, I was able to learn and glean and gather what I needed from the college experience for my education, for my future as a minister, because of that environment that I had in high school. And, and I had never thought about it that way until he and I had that conversation. I, I never realized that it was really the presence of um, students who understood what it takes to learn, students who understood the pressure that they have on them to be the best that they can be. Not everybody that goes to St. Mark's goes on to go, goes on to, to Harvard or Yale or Stanford or anything like that. There's some people that go um, to colleges like me, Southwestern, Assemblies of God University. And, and it's no, those are obviously good schools. They're not the most elite school that you'll ever go to. So again, it, having gone there, I don't feel like I was, I was prepared for a future in business and a future to be a crypto millionaire or anything like that. I feel like the presence of the people, the environment, the, the, the studiousness of, of what was going on there is really what prepared me for the future. And, and that, as I thought about it, and, and in preparation for this sermon, it, it started to align in my spirit and in my mind. And, and so I had studied for all of this, and, and there's all these notes because I started to write down a lot of the things that the Lord was downloading into me just, just this morning from what he's doing, what he's going to do, what 2023 looks like for all of us. It, it is going to be, I truly believe, the year of the glory of God, the, the year of his presence in your life. And, and I want to talk about that. I want to share with you some of the findings that I had from, from delving into Scripture. So we're going to start here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are thou? Where art thou? We see this first issuance of the presence of the Lord in talking to Adam and, and Eve, uh, the first people who ever to see the Lord, whoever who talked to the Lord. The word presence, uh, and it doesn't show up many times in this format, but the word presence is the word panaim, and it means before, face, sight. It means standing right there in front of you, and, and you have that relationship, and you have that conversation, you have that communion with that particular individual. It, it should be noted that this word, panaim, is not exclusive to the word presence, and it's not exclusive to the presence of the Lord. It is translated so many different ways in Scripture. Face, name, uh, before, sight, all these things. Because it is, it is a universal, you're standing in front of this, this thing, this person, and you have a relationship with it. Again, not exclusive to the Lord. Adam and Eve, first people who were able to go in front of the presence of God. Genesis chapter 4, 16. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord 
and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So we know that even after the fall, the presence of the Lord was there with the people. We know that God still interacted with Adam and Eve, still interacted with Cain and Abel. We, we know the story. Cain and Abel, they're talking uh, to God. They're worshiping. They're sacrificing. And, and eventually Cain kills his brother because of that sacrifice. And, and so he decides to leave the presence, that communion with God, that communication, the, the face-to-face contact, and go off and live on his own. Job the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Satan himself, we've seen this before, goes in front of God, and he speaks to him, still in in deference, I'm sure, bowing down, recognizing who he is, and and God recognizing who Satan is. And they have that conversation face-to-face in his presence, they discuss the, the life of Job. And then finally, Jonah. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Here was God speaking to Jonah, giving him his ministry, telling him, I want you to go to these people and talk to them and prepare them for me for repentance, for, for having a right relationship. And Jonah says, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not into that. I don't like these people. I don't like what they've been doing. And so he flees that face-to-face communication with the Lord and tries to go on a ship going the opposite direction. And then what happens, obviously, the, you remember the story, the, the ship gets battered, and, and he had told the friends, the people there, yeah, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And, and the Bible says that later, and they remember that, and they, so they throw him off the ship, right? And then he goes back, and he has to do what he was, has been told. But these, these four examples, these four people were there in front of the presence of the Lord. The presence, in, in my study, and in my opinion, truly exemplifies the covenant and the promise that God has for us. This is the promise. This is the relationship that we have with him. When you think about um, marriage, you know, I, I remember being up here, getting married to my wife. I think I was right here, right here. And I remember pastor being here. I remember my wife coming down the aisle. I remember crying as I saw her and, and her coming up here. And then eventually we were here in the center and we were holding hands and we were face to face. And we made promises to each other, promises of of fidelity and love and and relationship and partnership. That promise that we made to each other is is what a a marriage is supposed to be. It's what what puts us in a covenant and says that we as a a unit now are going to go forth and do what God has called us to do, not just as individuals, but as partners and, and move forward with the kingdom Uh, or to expand the kingdom of God with each other. This is the type of promise, covenant, that God wants with us. And we see this specifically in Exodus chapter 33, when God begins to talk to Moses and and say, "I, I want to be your God. I want to take you out from where you were and move you to where I need you to be. 
before Moses, we had Abraham. So we know the promise that God made to Abraham about expanding his uh, progeny out into the world. We see the promise that God made to his children. And as we see them moving forward from generation to generation, it gets to the point where that promise is broken by the people who start to worship other gods. We see uh, in, in Israel, Isaiah and Isaac and all these other people, as, as they're moving forward, as you, as you go into the direction of um, reading the Bible in order, you see them following God, not following God, following God, not following God. That's what Judges is all about, is the people crying out to God saying, hey, we're oppressed, him saving them, and then them going back into sin. So, so as we see this progression, eventually God gets to the point where we see Moses, and Moses is saying, Lord, you saved us out of this mire. You saved us from, from Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and you brought us out of all of that. We need to have you with us all the time. We need you to be here with us. We need your presence. We need your promise, the covenant. And he even says, I, I want to see you face to face. And in Exodus 33, we see this. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now the way that I may know thee, that I might find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said unto him, If your presence goes not with me, carry us not up hence. Don't, I don't want to go then. For wherein shall it be known here that I and the people have found grace in your sight? Is it not in that you go with us? So shall we be separated, I and your people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Excuse me. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And I will proclaim my name, the name of the Lord, before you. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, You cannot see my face. For there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. You shall stand upon the rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back parts, but my face, my panim, shall not be seen. My presence shall not be seen. Same word. So we see here Moses asking to see God face to face. And he said, this is a very hard thing because you cannot live and see my face. You will die. You will die to yourself. You will die. You will change if you see me. And I can't have that right now because I need you interfacing with the people. Remember, death to the Lord is not about destruction. It's about changing um, environment. Think of it that way. When, when a person dies, their body is no longer here. Their soul is still with us, with God, if you will, in heaven. And so, so when God says you're not going to live, what he's really saying is your state is going to change. I need you here, and because of that, I can't have you seeing my face because I need you doing what I need you to do. And, and as you think about this, right, God wanted to have that face-to-face -face relationship with Moses, but had to be very careful how it went about. And so what he did 
is he puts, he says, I'm going to put my hand there. You're going to see my glory, but you're not going to see my face. And that, that becomes very important for the next section that we're about to read. When we think about the presence and we think about the glory, those things are, are somewhat, uh, I don't want to say interchangeable, but they're tied together very, very closely. We're going to read a lot about the glory here in a minute. I, I work from home now, and I have had for, for probably the past two, three years, and it is, for those of you who work virtually, it is very difficult to interact with people on, on meetings or in meetings because of the lack of relationship that you have with these people. Um, it's talking to them in front of a computer. And, and even if you are not working virtually, you're not in the workforce anymore, you know there's a difference between calling your grandkids or your family on Zoom or FaceTime than it is for you to go and visit them and interact with them and pick up the child and hug somebody. Very, very different. I, I would argue that you cannot have a strong relationship with somebody virtually, even if you can see their face on, on the phone or the tablet, um, versus being with them talking to them, touching them, having that relationship face-to-face. -face. It's, it's a very different environment, and that's really what Moses was asking for. He was saying, Lord, I don't want to do this via Zoom. I want to talk to you. I want to sit down at a conference and have this conversation, have this relationship with you. And, and God says, we, we can, but we have to be very careful because you will die, and, and not necessarily a physical body death, although that could be part of it, but you will die in that you will no longer be able to interact or interface with this world the way that I need you to. We're going to see some of this here in a minute. So he said, I'm going to, I'm going to send my glory to cover my presence. It's going to be a, a diluted or, or watered-down version of my presence because there's a lot that we have to do here in the next couple of years. And, and so this face-to-face -face interaction was, was put off for a little while, but we'll see here in Exodus where God does begin to talk to Moses, and it's specifically through the, the, the kabod, the glory of God, when they're talking. So Exodus chapter 16. And it came to pass, as Aaron spoke unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. So this is obviously before Exodus 33. But here we see a, an example of the glory of the Lord appearing. And how it appears is in a cloud. There, there's a mountain over off beside them. The cloud comes down over the mountain and covers the presence of the Lord. So we know the presence is there because it begins to shine through, but we see, we see that only through the covering of the glory, only through the covering of the cloud. Exodus chapter 24. The Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tablets of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. We're going to skip to 16. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. On the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and gat him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. I wonder what he ate during that time. So we see here, if, if you think about it, this is the first time that, that somebody downloaded files from the cloud and put them on a tablet. A little technology joke there for you. 
we see here Moses interacting with God by, by first passing through the glory and then having that presence work and talk with him. Then, through chapter 25 all the way up into 40, God begins, in those 40 days and 40 nights, God begins to talk about, to Moses about how he wants to interact with the people. So now remember, and look, I've said a lot, and I get it. There's a lot of information I'm going to download into you today. So pay attention. Get ready. We've seen from the very beginning, Adam and Eve talking, walking with the presence of God. We see uh, other beings walk and talk and have the presence of God. God, at, at some point in time, stepped back. And he said, let me see what these people are going to do without me talking to them face to face. And, and we see what happens. They begin to leave that presence on their own and, because they're not having that interaction anymore. And they start doing their own thing. And there's very few people who stuck with it. Some of those, Abraham, Noah, these people who said, I, I, despite me not seeing God face to face, I'm going to have a relationship with him. I'm going to do everything that God has asked me to do. And, and so you see the fall of this, this kingdom, this, this religion, these, these people, these people group. As, as you start from Genesis all the way until we get to Exodus, you see this fall of if you are not with us, God, people are going to start to leave because they don't have you there with them. We just talked about Zoom, right? It's, it's a Zoom environment, Lord, and we need a face-to-face -face environment. And, and so God begins to create a substructure for him to be able to have this environment with his people. And so what does he do? Between verses 25 and 4, I'm sorry, chapters 25 and 40 of Exodus, he begins to tell Moses, this is how I'm going to interact with my people. There is a very specific process and environment that I need to have in order to come talk to you because the sin of this world is so great, and I cannot be in that environment. And so they begin to talk about the tabernacle. They begin to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. They be, he begins to give them measurements and, and materials and all the things that are required for God to show up face-to-face, -face, he tells Moses. And so for the next 40 days, 40 nights, Moses is having this conversation with God, and, and it's basically an architect's list to an engineer of here's everything that needs to happen. And I don't know if Moses just remembers all this or if he's chiseling it down on, on some stone tablet or what, but he's got to have this list and he's got to bring it down to the people. And so you see Moses going up to the mountain, coming down. I mean, he, has to, he had to have some strong legs because he's going up the mountain, he's coming down the mountain, and he's talking to them and he's saying, okay, here's what God said, go forth and do these things. And then he would go back up and get some more, some more requirements. And eventually, we'll read this here in chapter 40. Eventually, they get to the place where God has said, here's everything that needs to happen. Here's the, the tabernacle. Here's the holy place, the holy of holies. Here's a brazen altar. When you come to me, you've got to sacrifice such and such. It's got to be so many uh, candles and, and a table for bread and blah, blah, blah. All of these requirements for people to prepare and sanctify themselves so that they can have this face-to-face -face conversation with God. And even then, only certain people were allowed to have that sort of conversation. Only the high priest was allowed to go into that very, very deep place where the Ark of the Covenant stood and where the presence of God would come down and interact, excuse me, with his people. And in Exodus chapter 40, 
Verse 34, and then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they journeyed not until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So they would stop at a place. They would set up the tent, the tabernacle, the brazen altar, all these things. They would set it up. The glory of the Lord would come down upon that place. It would, it, the presence of the Lord would go into and s- sit upon that mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, and they would just wait. The people would just wait until that lifted, and then they could gather all, gather all the things and then move on to the next leg of their journey. That's how it happened. That's how it worked. And so the people were just ready. They would, they would set up. They would wait. God would lift. They would move on to another place. They would set up. God would come down. They would wait. He would lift, and then would move on. And this is what they did uh, for years and years and years. And then they began to, what, grumble and complain. We're tired of this. And so at some point in time, uh, God said, they, they said, hey, we're, we're hungry. There's nothing to eat out here. We're journeying on these places. We have to wait. So we really can't go anywhere. We're hungry, Moses. Bring us food. And, and so he goes and tells God, and God says, okay, I'm going to send manna. I'm going to send quail and manna. And then he gives them very specific instructions on what to do with that manna. You remember this, right? He says, go and pick it. You can only pick it for six days on that seventh day. You can't pick. It's Sabbath. It's holy. Don't pick any manna. Some people went out and picked manna, and God's like, are you guys kidding me? I just told you you can't do that. So he sent spoiled. He sent and spoiled that manna. Uh, on that seventh day and so they had to remember okay well you don't pick on the seventh day they had to pick twice as much on the sixth day in order to eat on the seventh day all these requirements they're doing all these things and then he says all right in the ark of the covenant here's what i want you to do i want you to put in a bowl uh, a, a vessel of this manna in the ark of the covenant to remember the provision that i have provided for you In the Ark of the Covenant, I want you to put those Ten Commandments that I issued to you. I want you to put those Ten Commandments, that that tablet of stuff, put them in the Ark of the Covenant because that is my promise to you. And and then finally, in there, I want you to put Aaron's rod that budded. I don't know if you remember that story, but Aaron, they were walking around with the people, and they said, hey, we're just as smart as Aaron. Um, You know, who's going to lead us from here on forth? And Moses said, all right, everybody come up with your staff, and if you put your staff down, God's going to choose. So they put their staffs down, and all of a sudden, Aaron's staff began to bud. It began to grow like it was planted, like it was a, a live tree, even though there was a dead piece of wood. And so like, okay, yep, he's the, he's the authority now. And so they took that, that staff, that rod, and they put that in the Ark of the Covenant, and it represented God's authority. It represented his power. So we've got these three things in the Ark of the Covenant. God visits them and sits on the Ark of the Covenant. They pick up and they take the Ark of the Covenant and go different places. The Ark of the Covenant became the conduit by which God would meet with his people. And again, all these requirements had to happen in order for you to even get to the place where the Ark of the Covenant was stationed. The glory of God would come down and they would sit and they would converse with the Lord. It's a lot. 
It's a lot. This is Genesis all the way to Exodus. There's so many more books to go. That is a history of the tabernacle, very condensed history of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and its importance in, in the lives of the Hebrew people, the Jews, and, and, they, and in our lives. Hebrews 9, I, I skipped over it, but it basically says what I already said, which, which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot speak, uh, which we cannot now speak particularly. The tablets, Aaron's rod, manna, the covenant or the promise, Aaron's rod, the authority or the power, and manna, the bread of life or the provision. Why is this important? Jesus came to this earth to be that for us. If we are the temple, then Jesus is the Ark of the Covenant that lives in our hearts. And that is how we have the presence of God within us. And that is what's going to be important for this next year, for the glory of God to visit the people around us, through us, the, the church, the nations, God's glory, his presence manifesting itself, sitting where the Ark of the Covenant resides, which is in us. Let's look at it. We'll start with the covenant, the tablets, the promise. Matthew chapter 22, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the, the tablets that he's talking about. Jesus exemplified this. You worship God, you love God, and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's really, when you think about the Ten Commandments, what those commandments are talking about. The first four are, are talking about your relationship with God. They're talking about don't have any idols. I'm, I'm the one God. Respect the Sabbath. Uh, number five, honor your mother and father. And then it goes into um, don't kill, don't, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't covet, relationship with other people. He, he summed it up. Love God, love your neighbor. Those are the greatest commandments. This is the new promise that I give to you. John chapter 13, this is the new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. It's not just about, hey, just love people. Love everybody, man. It's all cool. It's groovy. This is the word agape. Love one another in a way that represents the promise and the glory of God, and, and they're, they're, they're moving forward into the kingdom, which is why he says make disciples of all nations. It's not just love everybody because everybody deserves to be loved. It's you take them to a place of where, of where they are now into a new place of where they should be and where I want them to go. That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here. Love your neighbor to a point where you are willing to sacrifice yourself and make them disciples, make them what they need to be in the conversation, in the way that you exemplify me in front of them. That's the love that he's talking about here. And so the promise, the covenant, 
that Jesus has with us is set into our hearts. Love your neighbor. Authority, this, this Aaron's rod, the power. John chapter 14, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. We're talking about power here, the glory of God. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's the third aspect that we didn't talk about. Uh, I think I'm going to save that for a Sunday school here. But that third aspect that we see in, in the presence of God, the glory of God, the third one is the name of God or the names of God. Pastor has talked about the names of God. We, we've talked about the Elohim and, and the Yahweh and the different variations of all those things. The name of God, the authority that comes because of that is that third aspect. But here we see Jesus saying that if you ask anything in my name, under my authority, I will do it. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So then we see the authority. There's three aspects to the Ark of the Covenant, the promise, the tablets, the power, the authority, and then the provision, the manna. John chapter 6, for the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Isn't that what manna was? It came down from heaven. It laid on the ground like dew, and they would collect it, and it gave life provision to the people. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. John chapter 6, 51, further down. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The manna, the the promise, the power, and the provision. The three things that we talked about from the Old Testament are what Jesus supplies for us as, as the Ark of the Covenant, as the place where God comes and, and manifests himself in that mercy seat and, and has presence and talks with his people. Jesus became that. And, and we, being the temple, you've heard that scripture, right? Your body is the temple. You are the temple. And inside that temple is that Ark of the Covenant, is Jesus living within us. And, and because of that, we have the presence, the power, and the provision of God to do the things that he has called us to do. And, and the beauty of this is that it gives us a template for how we should live our lives. The, 
I think it's very important for us to see that scripture where the people would not move unless God left that place. Until God lifted himself off of the tabernacle, the people just couldn't move. They, they didn't move and they couldn't move. Imagine trying to go over as, as one of the people that took down the, the, the temple, um, who had to break it down. Imagine trying to go over there and start breaking down, taking off screws and nails and uh, hammering things and going over there and all of a sudden the glory of God hits you and you're just flat on your back. Potentially even dead because you weren't supposed to get that close. So they, they knew, hey, I'm not even gonna get close to that thing because we're not gonna be able to move it. We, we can't take off the curtains and start moving the bread because God's presence is in there. And, and not that I'm trying to respect it, but as soon as I get close, I'm gonna get struck down. So I can't do it. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't do it. That, I think, is a pattern for our lives where we need to look at where is God's presence within me, obviously. But when it lifts, where do I go? What do I do? And when it settles, what do I do at that place? And I don't leave that place until God's presence lifts. As I was reading this, it's, it's not in here, but it is in the Word. As I was reading this, because um, I did a, a search for the Ark of the Covenant, and, and I have read the Bible a couple of times. I think it's time to reread it because I was looking at this particular, these particular passages of Scripture and, and found where the Philistines were attacking. And Hophni and Phinehas were um, part of these stories. If you want to find it, look for Hophni and Phinehas. But they were priests, high priests. They were, they were supposed to be taking care of the kingdom protecting God's sovereignty and his presence and all of that stuff. And they are uh, being attacked by the, the, the Philistines. And I think I said Philippians earlier, the Philistines. They were attacked by the Philistines. And, and so these guys are coming down, they're attacking them. And all of a sudden they recognize, the Philistines recognize we're attacking Israel. We're attacking the people of God. And they begin to get scared, the Bible says. Because then they heard shouting. They heard the Israelites shouting. They were declaring, yay, God is going to win. God is going to win. They were, they were puffed up in their administration of, of who God was and what he was going to do. And they, the, these guys are coming down. They're attacking. Israel starts yelling and, and encouraging themselves. And, and they said, you know what? We're going to one-up this. Get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it out to the front line and let God destroy the Philistines. And so they bring the Ark of the Covenant. They, they take it out from where it is, and they put it right there in front of the army. And all of a sudden, the Philistines start slaughtering everybody. Everybody starts to die. 40,000 people died. I looked it up. It, it is around, uh, it is between, we, we lost about 56,000 people in Vietnam, we lost about 36,000 people in the Korean War. So when you think of it, if you need a reference point, they lost about a Vietnam War in that situation right there, just right there. They're fighting the Philistines. They bring the Ark of the Covenant, expecting God to strike them down. The Philistines win. They won. And guess what they did? They took the Ark of the Covenant. They took it with them. They're like, hey, spoils of war. This thing is made of gold. I bet we could break it down, and I bet we can just, you know, make a lot of money from this. So they took it. They took that Ark of the Covenant. They put it on a cart, and they carted it away. And as I'm reading this, it's, it's a 
great story. You like stories? Read that story. It's a great story because the Ark of the Covenant gets to where it's supposed to go, and I, I can't remember where it went. But it gets to where it's going to go, and all of a sudden, the people start getting really, really sick. And, and the Bible says that they are attacked with emeralds, which when you look it up, it, it means something like um, hemorrhoids. And, and so they're attacked in their bodies. They're getting sick, and they're dying from this, from the discomfort, from the bleeding, from the pain. They start to get all these sores on themselves, and they're like, you know why? It's because of this Ark of the Covenant. They can't get close enough to touch it. They know that it's a holy thing. They can't get it close, and when they do get close, they start dying. So the Philistines say, you know what? We got to get this thing out of here. And what they do is they send it to another city within the Philistine Empire. Stupid thing. So they send it to another Philistine Empire, and those people start dying, and they start getting sick, and the emeralds are there. And they say, you know what? Get it out of here. And so they send it to another city. And then another, they send it to five Philistine cities, hoping that this thing would just go away. They didn't want to get rid of it. So they finally sent it to that last city. And by this time, that last city has heard about the Ark of the Covenant. And they're like, we don't want this thing. Don't bring it over here. But they brought it. They brought it in. It's gone through the gates. They're like, what are we going to do with this? And so they, they start to talk to some of their elders, some of their magicians, some of their sorcerers. And they say, hey, wizards, tell us, what do we do with this thing? And they said, here's what you need to do. You need to make um, emeralds, five golden emeralds, which I don't know what that would even look like but whatever, right? So maybe five nuggets of gold, and you get these five emeralds representing each of those five cities, and you're going to get some mice, and you're going to make them out of gold, and you're going to put these all around this ark, and you're going to send this thing back to where it came from. And so they sent it back to where it came from, but they had to sacrifice all these things, and, and then when it finally came into the, to the city of, of Israel, not to Jerusalem, but to one of the cities, they brought it back there, uh, Beth Shemesh, I think. When it finally got there, they, they began to rejoice. The ark is back. The ark is back. And, and they were happy and they were excited. But, but things didn't necessarily go great for them either because it wasn't being respected. It wasn't being taken care of the way that it was supposed to be. So, so why am I telling you all this? It's fascinating to hear how the glory, the presence of God conducted business on its own in the presence of all the people. There, there is a there is a, what's the right word? I wanted to say magic. It's not magic. There is a, a profound power that comes from having the Ark of the Covenant in your presence. And that's Jesus. There's a, there's a story too. I don't remember where it is. But it's right before David was going to bring back the Ark to Jerusalem. So during all this time. And, and they couldn't get it to where it needed to go because of, of the way they were carrying it. Remember this? And, and, and Uzzah puts his hand on it to stabilize it, and he gets killed. And they're like, oh, we got to stop, we got to stop. And, and they get it to a place, and it stays there for a little while. And, and the Bible said that that place prospered because of the Ark of the Covenant, because the presence of the Lord was in that place. You think about just the, the, the fact that the Ark, the presence of God, was there that conduit was there to bless the area to bless the people it is just amazing to me and and what i feel we don't necessarily recognize fully is is what i've just said here that jesus is that ark and and jesus inside of you brings that power that promise that provision 
for us to be able to conduct our business. I feel like many times we do what Cain did and, and we attempt to leave the presence of the Lord in a place while we go transact what we feel we need to do out in this world. And, and we forget that, that Jesus is the one that wants us to be with him, to carry him wherever we go and not be left behind on a Sunday or on a Wednesday or, or wherever you might be, left behind to do its own thing while we go off and we do our own thing. And we also have to remember that it's not a weapon to be used against other people just because we think, well, God's going to strike you down, right? It is something that we carry with us and we wait. And the presence of the Lord tells us, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. It gets to the point, this is the, that last scripture here, but it doesn't mean I'm done talking. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them, because they were getting healed by the shadow. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about them unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. This, this is where we need to be. This is where we go. This is... This is what God has called us to. But the only way to get there is to recognize that the Ark of the Covenant lives inside of us. Jesus lives within us to perform this. He is the provision. He is the power. What did he say? I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You will be imbued with power. And he represents that third aspect that we really didn't touch on very much, but the name. In my name you will be able to do these things. And again, you don't just point out and say, in the name of Jesus, I, I call you to die and get out of my face because you're driving really badly on the road. It, it's about understanding his covenant. Love one another. Honor God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. When we start walking in the things that God wants us to walk in, we will begin to heal people with our shadows. And look, it's not about us walking around and healing people with our shadows. It's not the point. The point is to walk with Jesus. And because of that, these things will happen. It's a byproduct of the real, pur pro real purpose for all of this, which is to walk with Jesus. Think about, I think about my relationship with the Lord, and I know that it is very difficult to get to a place where it is constant, constant in our hearts and constant in our minds that I have this relationship. I, I need to be, in 2023, more mindful of carrying this ark with me wherever I go. And I'm not saying I'm a bad person. I sin. Everybody sins. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm, I'm talking about being mindful of the walk that I have in every single aspect of my life. And that's what I believe God is calling all of us to do is being mindful of what we have living within us, the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, so that we are conducting kingdom business every single hour, minute, second 
of the day. When you think about it that way, it will change your perspective on the world. It will change your perspective on life. I, I was listening to Amani speak this morning about um, the world and, and the, the movies, things that she's seen lately and, and the media and how all these aspects just bombard us with, with witchcraft and, and with the, the debauchery that, it's talking, that she was talking about. All these things that the, the world is trying to hit you with. I was reading the other day um, articles about how they are attacking the Bible, the foundations of what we believe, and saying that the Bible is mistranslated, that, that when it says the word homosexual, that that didn't exist until 19-something or other, and, and that word is translated incorrectly, it actually means something else. It actually means um, you should not lie with a young man like pedophilia, but, but lying with a man is fine. He just can't be a young man, is what they are saying that this, this verse was, was mistranslated. So it's not about homosexuality. Homosexuality is fine. Just make sure that they're not too young is what they're claiming. And they're talking about going deep into the Greek and, and the language. And the interesting thing to me, and I didn't dive too much into this because I, I didn't want to read it, um, but, but they started talking about how it was mistranslated from a German version here or there. And I thought, well, Germany wasn't around when this was written. Why are you going way over there, Greek to German to English? It, it doesn't make any sense. Then I started reading another article, a different article about them and, and, and the way that the Bible is translated in some other thing and how the Greek is really talking about something else. And I thought, they're coming for us. They've been coming for us. But they're, they're, they are attacking us in the foundation of what we believe. And, and it's not that they're attacking Christianity necessarily. They're attacking those that are on the fringe, those that just don't understand, those that are looking for truth. And they're saying, look, the truth that these people believe in is not necessarily truth because they believe the wrong truth. They've been talking about the Bible and the, how it's the foundation. Well, let me just show you how bad the Bible is. It wasn't until... I want to say the last 20 years that we really started diving into the Greek and the Hebrew and really investing in what does the foundation of the word say. And, and now is when I'm really starting to see them attacking that foundation. Not that they're going to win from us, but, but we have seen people step outside of that saintly relationship, that saintly calling because of things like that. Itching ears and all that, right? The enemy crafty fellow. He's, he's coming for you, and he's going to come for us in different ways that, that attack the foundation of who we are. And the only, the only power that we have is what I'm talking about right here is the power, the promise, and the presence of God. Having him with us and understanding and seeing everything that we do and everything that we hear in that light, which is essentially what Imani was talking about this morning. Seeing what we see through his eyes, listening to what we listen to through his ears. When, when we go out into this world, when we hang out with our friends, what kind of presence of God do we have with us? You know, I, I heard many arguments when I was in youth group about uh, either missionary dating. You know what missionary dating is, right? Dating somebody who's not a Christian because you hope to convert them to Christianity. Missionary dating or, or going off with your friends and doing things um, because you, you want to be a light into their world. You want to show them what, what you know, Jesus hung out with the, the sinners. And so he was out there 
you know, drinking and, and doing all the bad things too because he was ministering to all these people. And I thought, well, number one, you're not Jesus. But number two, that's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus was ministering to them. He was bringing them light into this darkness. And, and it is more difficult for us who live down here in this darkness to be like that. And, and they are going to influence you rather than you influence them. And, and so I remember having these conversations with, with our young people. I remember having these conversations with my peers at the time. And, and it, really, it really helped me to see what I thought of in the, from the aspect of my relationship with God. Was I able to withstand relationships with other people here on this earth and still have that relationship with the Lord? It's a balance, a delicate balance that you have to have. Because on the one hand, you don't want to be um, you don't want to be goody two shoes. You don't want to be better than everybody. You want to come across as, well, I have Jesus and you don't, so you, you're a sinner and I can't talk to you. And that, obviously that's not what we, have, we can do. But, but at the same time, we have to be careful and guard our own hearts because why? We're the temple. We have the Ark of the Covenant. And we can't just let anybody run in there and, and um, start doing whatever they want, Right? So, so this balance, as, as I started to pray about all of this, this balance is something that I really feel the Lord is going to start to exemplify for all of us here in 2023. And, and I know many have found what they believe is their balance, and that's great. Good for you. Be mindful that God has something very specific, very special in store for you in this coming year. As, as you walk with the presence of God inside of you, recognize that recognize that he's right there with you. And it's not, I, I love that word, hedge of protection. It doesn't show up anywhere in the Bible, but we say it all the time, right? I love the concept of the hedge of protection. It's not a hedge of protection because if it was, we would never get hurt. We would never go through financial trouble. We would always be healed. It's not a hedge of protection and the Lord, the world just can't get through it. That's not how it works. This hedge of protection is around your understanding, your, hey, you can come attack me, but the hedge helps me to understand that as much attack as I get, the Lord is still with me, that I have God. And, and whether all my, my limbs have been cut off and, and all my finances go, are gone, the Lord is still with me. The Lord is still with me. The Lord is still with you. And, and that's what I love so much about our testimonies when they come in people going through things and then saying, but look, the Lord got me out of it. It was a season and I'm out of it. Am I still struggling with things? Sure. But the Lord's going to get me out of those. And, and during that time, I will be conducting kingdom business because the presence of the Lord is inside of me. So Father, I just thank you for what you're going to do in this year. We've already begun as a church, as a ministry to travel back into the nations. Father, I look forward to all the many things that you have in store for us as we go out into the world, into these nations, and make disciples of your people. Father, I pray for your strength, your power, your authority, your provision, your promise, all the things that we have talked about today. Lord, I pray that you begin to show us very visibly what we're talking about so that we can be encouraged and that we can continue moving forward in what you have. Lord, I know that even as an individual or as individuals, that you are preparing us for our, our ministry. There's the ministry of the church, and then there's our ministry, Lord. 
what you have for us. And Father, I pray that you strengthen us in those things. Lord, there's going to be conversations had. I feel this prophetically right now. There's going to be conversations had in these next couple of weeks from some of you with other people that are going to start to change mindsets of those around you. There's going to be a conversation with somebody who's going to want to give their heart to the Lord, and you're going to be right there in the midst of it. Father, we call forth your presence in situations like that, in times where we need to pray in your name and and allow healing to happen. Father, we call forth those situations. We call forth your plan, your purpose, your presence with us as we walk this walk. We love you. We thank you for it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. We're excited by what God's going to do in 2023. This is only the uh, second Sunday uh, of the year. Very few times does the, uh, does the first week of the year have two Sundays in it, and this is one of them. So I know God is going to be doing something special. Continue to pray for Pastor and the team, and we will see you next week. God bless you.